Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Builders Build podcast. I'm your host, George Poo. Today, we're honored to have a guest who has experience of both being a builder and also being, you know, an investor and also now building something that's empowering other entrepreneurs in the world. Our guest today is Justin Hawa, who is the co-founder and CEO of Rice, which is the AWS for financial service. It offers fintech developers access to all the financial capabilities that they have across banking, brokerages, and others through one simple API. So Justin, I'm so excited and so awesome to have you on the show today. And thanks so much for joining. Absolutely, I'm excited to be here. Okay, I know Rise is an amazing company and I think maybe I can dive into the <laughs> how we originally met. I actually met you when I was reaching out on LinkedIn and you were super nice in meeting me as I was building my company ANC. So just like, just letting every viewers out there, if you're building some FinTech companies, pin Justin on LinkedIn and he's going to be with you and help you guide through you the process. But yeah, all jokes aside, Justin, I know Rise is such an interesting company, but also I think the theme of our show is Builders Build. So I really want to know, and I think our audience want to know your background and you know where you come from before you started. So can you just give me, give us a little bit more overview on that? Sure. It's been a bit of a circuitous path to get to this point. I certainly had no intention of ending up here. I've spent about, I actually started my career in, in strategy consulting at Bain & Company after spending all my summers back in college working in the film industry, actually, which I discovered after three summers was a phenomenal summer gig in a pretty terrible career, and it was destroying my love of movies. So my backup, like having studied psychology undergrad in college, was I'll go into strategy consulting because there's got to be some organizational behavior and some psychology involved in telling other companies what to do, right? Mm -hmm. No, I was totally wrong about that. There was absolutely nothing and no psychology involved in that whatsoever. But consulting led me to private equity. The smartest people I saw in, in the kind of consulting world were moving over into the private equity world. And the pitch there was, hey, if we're as good at fixing companies as we think we are, we should own the equity and not just get paid for services. And that sounded a little bit more risk-seeking to me. So I gave that a try for self. Worked in places like Bain Capital on the private equity side, Perry Capital on the hedge fund side. Discovered that wasn't quite for me either. And, and really where my passions lie were in building things. So I eventually managed to make my way after about 10 years into the startup world. So I spent about half my career building stuff and half investing in stuff. Definitely figured out that I like building and operating more than I like investing in things. But I had truly terrible timing because I graduated college in 2001 and business school in 2008. So two for two into the last two major downturns, which meant that I had to do a bunch of non-building stuff for periods of my career. But Rise is still the third company I've been part of building, the second one I co-founded. And it's, it's been an interesting journey to this point, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think it's super awesome. And I think the timing you mentioned is actually quite interesting, 2001 and 2008. Definitely not an easy path. And I think a lot of other entrepreneurs have a similar path. They work on something first, and then they build their business along the way with what they have learned. And I think just in your case, yeah. the financial experience, they didn't just, I, I don't think they just come for nothing. I think even when you're building Rise, I'm sure it also helped you uh, along the way, your previous knowledge. Yeah, no question about it. And the story of how we got to Rise is a little bit circuitous in and of itself too, because I left the hedge fund world because I wanted to go build something again. But interestingly enough, the single constraint that I gave myself at that time was I would do anything except for financial services. 
which has clearly backfired spectacularly. I just felt like at that point in my career, I'd already done a bunch of work in finance on stuff that I wasn't very passionate about. Didn't really feel like I was adding much to the universe. And to be honest, money stresses me out. Mm -hmm. So it's like, why would I want to focus on it 24-7? But then what dragged me back into this world, somewhat kicking and screaming, is the fact that my parents, like so many people, just got absolutely crushed in 2008, 2009, the last downturn. Mm -hmm. And I ended up having to spend about five years working with them to get them back to the point where as a family, it felt like things were at least stable again. And at the end of the day, they're totally fine because they're great savers. And to be honest, they're boomers. There's just a lot more cushion in the system for that generation. So no part of this story is a sob story about them. Like they're in great shape. But doing that work with them very much led to this question of, all right, how screwed up do things have to be in this space if this is the outcome for two highly educated people with great jobs who have all the support in the world behind them, what does that mean for the vast majority of folks uh, who do not have that level of support? Exactly. And that's what brought me back into this world, though at a very different entry point that we ended up with Rise. I think that's such an amazing uh, insight, Justin. I think for many young founders, especially a lot of, of us, like including me, we haven't really seen a you know bear market for a long time. We have the longest bull market ever. We have not seen what it was like in 2001, 2008. And I think for founders like yourself, mm-hmm. that experience really gives you resiliency and gives you caution when you move forward. How, how do you think about yeah. those? Ex- t- 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 I, think, I think it works both ways because there are times when I'm a little bit envious of the current generation of new founders coming out of college and stuff and saying that really wasn't possible when when I was coming out of college, particularly because it was right post the the first dot-com bust. And I got the experience of getting to work in some other kind of more traditional places before having the opportunity to go build a company. But on the flip side, there's nothing, there's no better experience in learning for building a company than actually building a company, mm-hmm. right? And so I get a little bit envious sometimes of founders who've got 10 years of experience and they're 10 years out of school. But <laughs> it does work It does work both ways in the sense of when you've been able to see the busts in addition to the booms, it, it, gives, it tempers things a little bit. And you're always looking around the corner for the next way that things can go wrong and not just up and to the right. So look, I think it works both directions. And the important, the important thing is just do it, right? Mm-hmm. If you feel like you're getting closer and closer to working on what you're passionate about, then you're probably heading in the right direction. And if you're not, it gives you an opportunity to rethink that stuff. Yeah. And I think let's now jump in and talk about Rise. We've been teasing it for for the first few minutes. So tell us more about Rise and what it does. So Rise in its current uh, incarnation today, we've built the one-stop shop for fintech builders to build, launch, and scale new financial products through a single platform, right? So a fintech infrastructure company, we bring together all the different capabilities that you need to be able to get to actual launch and then to be able to scale, scale compliant, all that kind of stuff correctly through a single platform, single API, single set of integrations. And we think about ourselves, the overall mission for the company is to help fintech builders build. We are doing in the space of fintech infrastructure, what say AWS did in internet and cloud or Shopify has done in e-commerce, which is to make the infrastructure ubiquitous so you don't have to think about it, mm-hmm. right? For example, you can't run Netflix without AWS, but Netflix is a content company. That's where they want to be able to spend their time. And similarly, in our space, builders want to be able to focus on doing customer acquisition and building great product 
and not have to think about pulling all the different pieces together, particularly in a regulated world. So in our space, that means well, access to all the underlying banking capabilities that you need of different account types, checking, saving, FBO, all the different kind of payment processing and debit card issuance, and importantly, all the compliance that you need are all wrapped into a single platform. And we started around core banking capabilities, and now we're starting to expand into the brokerage side of the world as well and starting to cross some interesting verticals there and really leaning into the whole asset side of the balance sheet. So how do you give somebody a store of value in the product that they're looking to create, be able to issue cards around that? But then also got some interesting stuff coming out around high yield. How do you start to give folks some real value for when they bring money into a system, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's where we are today, but it's definitely not where we started on things. One of the things that's interesting about Rise is that we actually started life as a consumer fintech. Okay. So coming out of that whole experience with my parents, I originally got together with my co-founder, my co-founder Kirk Voltz, um, because we had a shared vision for a much more customer-centric approach to financial services. What we really wanted to solve was, you know, how do you take this crazy convoluted industry that gets regulated into all these different silos, things like banking, brokerage, lending, insurance, now crypto, which really doesn't map very well to how end customers think about and use money out in the real world. All right, like end customers like you or I, we don't really see those distinctions within the industry, despite the fact, as I think you well know at this point, when you're actually in the industry operating there, those silos were never designed to be able to work together. And in many cases, they have no idea how each other operates. When you talk to somebody who's in the banking world, they have no idea how things work in the brokerage world or the insurance world or what happened. So in many ways, that was the the gap that we wanted to bridge, the way that kind of embedded finance is now starting to develop of the ability to take financial capabilities, embed them out in existing user experiences where they make intuitive sense to how we thought things should work. But when we started Rise way back in 2016 now, it's been a while, that wasn't even a, a figment of anybody's imagination yet, right? The things that we understood at that point were the consumer pain points. That's where we really had some expertise. So we started life as a consumer fintech. Yeah. We built automated saving technology. We brought simple investing into that. We brought banking into that. Because again, we were interested in building products that started to break down those walls between financial silos. Because again, for an end customer, this is all just money, mm -hmm. right? You really don't care how the engine works. You just want the car to go from point A to point B. I, yeah. yeah. And what we discovered in the course of that process was what we had originally thought was merely like a very complicated UI UX mapping problem. How do you take the way that the industry does things and map that to how end customers think about things was actually an infrastructure problem, right? We really couldn't build financial user experiences that matched how people thought about this stuff without first building the missing kind of horizontal connective tissue and the service layer infrastructure that could take how a customer thinks about money and actually map it backwards down to what, were, what are the underlying regulated building blocks of different account types and payment rails, compliance schemes, et cetera, that are required to power all this stuff. And as we went and talked to a lot of other FinTech builders, now the point of this podcast, we discovered that everybody was running into the same infrastructure. This was like, operating internet and cloud before AWS came along. There you were just trying to bring a new website out in the world, but you had to raise 30 million bucks and go manage all your own servers. In our world, well, you had to find a way to integrate into a bank and a processor and all this compliance stuff that you didn't even know was a thing. And guess what? Everybody was having to do that over and over again and usually doing it badly. Yeah. And it turned out that what we had originally built for our own book 
was a much more flexible and elegant solution to those infrastructure problems than anybody else had done to date because we approached the problem differently. Right? We didn't start with the underlying infrastructure of this industry and build forward saying, hey, it's hard to integrate to a bank core, it's hard to integrate to a processor, let's slap a set of APIs on that and call it banking as a service. That's not the approach we took. We instead took the kind of Amazon approach to the world of, hey, let's start with how end customers are actually gonna think about and use these services out in the real world, and let's build the infrastructure backwards down to those regulated building blocks that are required to make that work. And it required that we build a, a completely proprietary set of technology in-house that we call our synthetic core based on a technology called synthetic accounts that really is designed from the ground up to be a set of master ledgers that can operate simultaneously across multiple verticals. You know, it's the key to opening up a world of embedded opportunities and multi-product opportunities. And so we ended up pivoting the business from being a B2C fintech builder ourselves to now becoming a B2B platform that supports other fintech builders around these core infrastructure issues, you know, which continues an interesting theme in fintech infrastructure. Folks forget that Plaid, for example, started out as a B2C fintech before they became a B2B platform. Similarly, Drive Wealth you know, over in the brokerage space started out as a B2C company before they became a brokerage as a service platform. I think it's really hard, particularly in fintech, to build the infrastructure correctly unless you've been down in the trenches really earning that scar tissue for yourself. Yeah, and I totally agree with that. And I think as a fintech builder myself, I'm always astonished at, and I have the experience of both being an end user and a fintech builder. And I think about being an end user, I think it was very straightforward. I didn't really have to think about their multiple accounts on the background. I don't care about the ACH, the work of how the car works, like what you said. So I think it's very fascinating that you guys, so am I understanding it correctly? If I'm a fintech builder and I come to Rise, I can use one single API for my banking, brokerage, and other needs, and I don't have to go with other part, many partners at once. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. In fact, the, the way I like to talk about it is one of is the way that one of our major investors originally invested in us. The reason being that they were early on to the fintech infrastructure game and had invested in a bunch of the different point solutions mm -hmm. out there. The difference between our world and, say, AWS and Shopify is obviously financial services is heavily regulated. And so you end up not having just a single stack that somebody owns top to bottom, but you end up needing to put all these different pieces together of different custodians or processors and then all these kind of compliance pieces. So they discovered that they'd invested in a whole bunch of ecosystem solutions for this stuff and that all of their investments had the same customers over and over again, who are having to come and find different ways to integrate into 10 to 15 different pieces, simply be able to get to market. And they said, what's really missing here is that kind of horizontal connective tissue that can take all those different capabilities, integrate them into a single platform and allow a builder to integrate one time mm -hmm. to get all the capabilities that they need instead of having to do a 10 to 15 to the point where they were literally thinking about building it themselves until they came across us. And they said, oh, Rise has already done that in a fantastic fashion. We'll just invest in you guys instead. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating story. I, I personally even think what you said about AWS, it's the same it's the same 20 years ago as you, you guys were now to the fintech world. Even I think it's, there's a lot of waste in developer resources that a lot of companies spend on when they're trying to connect multiple accounts and multiple features. And I, I really believe what you guys are doing is going to save developers thousands and thousands of hours per company probably for yeah. their first year. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. And, and it's funny because so oftentimes, particularly in kind of Silicon Valley approach to things, 
you get used to thinking about like the tech is your moat. And this is one of those places what AWS ended up being where it's actually not, right? Like infrastructure is critical to each of those areas, but it's not your business. Your business is actually building the right product and, and doing customer acquisition and building brand and all those kind of pieces. And in fact, not only is trying to put all the underlying pieces together not a good use of your time, it really is likely to screw things up for you because I kind of think that one of the things that I enjoy about working with fintech builders so much is they're not so steeped in how things are done already in financial services that they can actually come up with a better way to do things. But the very fact that you can see a better way to serve end customers, whether those are consumers or, or businesses or what have you, means that you're not so far down in the trenches of how things are already done that you fully understand all those pieces. And it turns out, and we saw this back when we were on the, the other side of the world as a fintech builder ourselves, if you make bad choices about who you work with as a custodian, who you work with as a processor, how you put the KYC, AML, and other compliance pieces together, it can have some really nasty impacts mm -hmm. on your ability to even get to market in the first place. You may not even get there before you run out of money. And certainly to have the flexibility that you need to be able to correctly serve your end customers as you start to scale. You're actually putting yourself at significant risk of trying to do all the infrastructure pieces yourself, when in fact, not just for monetary and speed reasons, you really want to be able to focus just on your end customers. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think the the, the job of a fintech founder is to talk to customers, is to scale. And, and I agree with you that being focused too much, too focused on tech side can be a negative part in their inner journey. So let's talk now a little bit more about what Rise is doing on the background, because I'm sure for a non-fintech customer, us listener, listen to this, they might not have known what you guys have done all over the background to make this possible for founders. So what is going on in the background for you guys to make this so simple? Yeah, it, you're right. It's very complex under the hood, right? You have to do all this work to actually make things be pretty simple. So there are some core elements to, to what we include on this stuff. So if you think about the stack in the fintech world, you've got a builder, maybe such as yourself, who's actually building the, the UI, UX, the front end, all the business logic that goes into a product, right? Mm -hmm. But for anything that's, that, that folks really want to be able to do these days, you've got to have a set of accounts underlying all this stuff that you can control or the ability to issue, say, a debit card, move money through a system and actually store value in that system. In order to be able to do that, you've got to have access to underlying accounts. You've got to have a custodian somewhere in the stack. You usually have to have a payment processor like a Galileo or something like that in there who can actually deal with payment processing and, and issuing of cards. And then you've obviously got all the regulatory compliance pieces that fall into this. And that's different on a vertical by vertical basis. The regulatory compliance that you have to do in banking is different than the regulatory compliance that we have to do in brokerage. And so you've got all these different constituent pieces that you need to be able to fit together in some fashion. And then particularly when you want to start thinking, how do I build products that can combine capabilities that move across several verticals? I think about being able to have access to both a bank account and a brokerage account to be able to hold cash and also get some brokerage returns on things like that. Right now, if you're trying to put all these pieces together yourself, well, then you end up having to build in completely separate stacks every time you move into a new vertical. That's one of the reasons why you've seen even big consumer fintechs with infinite money, you think about the, the chimes of the world, the Robin Hoods of the world, et cetera, et cetera, have had a fair amount of difficulty moving into additional financial verticals outside of where they started.
because that's a really complicated process. Part of what we've done at Rise is to not only do a really great job of building out this ecosystem of different partners who have have best-in-class capabilities in and of themselves and wrapping them all together in a single platform, we've also built all the ledgering technology on top of that so that you can actually start to very easily combine capabilities across, say, both banking and brokerage. Mm -hmm. Um, So the idea is we've given you the infrastructure to be able to build against once, and as we bring new capabilities into the platform across new verticals, you don't have to change anything about the way that you've built your product in order to access those new capabilities. We just effectively give you a new set of switches that you can turn on and some interesting things that you can start delivering to your end customers. Yeah. So a lot of work, we think about ourselves really as a translation engine, right? Our job is to translate that incredibly complicated financial universe, financial infrastructure into a simple set of building blocks that our clients can mix and match in various combinations to build out the user experience that really matches the way that their end customers think about and and want to be able to use those capabilities out in the real world. So we take all that complexity and make it simple. Okay. And I'm glad you mentioned about Chime and Robinhood because by, from a personal experience that I know building a fintech company early can also be a burden because you, as you said, it's very hard for them to add on additional functionalities. Can an established brand or an older business still use Rise? Let's say if they have already implemented with another partner. Yeah, uh, that, that was one of the key pieces that we wanted to be able to do as we made that transition from being a builder ourselves to supporting other builders is to say, Look, we want to make things that we want to make it easy enough and modular enough that if you're building some pieces in one place, you can be able to come and get some additional capabilities within the rise. And that actually came out of some of the experience of, of talking to going out and talking to potential clients as we were making that pivot. We talked with including some of the biggest guys out there who were looking for some of our capabilities and the ability to cross multiple verticals as they're looking to add more flexibility to their platform. And who are saying, look, it's a bit of a too much of, a, of an ask for particularly larger companies to rip and replace their entire stacks in order to be able to come over and work with Rise and, and get some of our capabilities. And to be honest, at that stage of the business, when we're mid-pivot and hadn't even launched the, the B2B platform, we couldn't deal with large clients at that point. So we, in actually talking to builders, we discovered a key part of having this platform operate correctly is it does need to be modular. It does need to be able to operate with a company that has existing products and wants to be able to add some new products. So we started to really productize a bunch of what we do. We've got some pretty cool functionality coming out here in the next uh, kind of quarter, which will start to demonstrate really some of the standalone product capabilities that Rise has so that if you built even kind of banking capabilities on other platforms, you can still come and access some of the unique things that we have and be able to slide that into your existing product suite without too much difficulty. Okay. Uh, and I think that's a, this is a great opportunity to talk about the roadmap. Can you tell us what if I want to sign up today? What can Rice offer me in terms of a product perspective? Sure. As we interestingly enough, when we started on the, as a B two C fintech ourselves, we actually started life in the brokerage side of the world, and then we moved into banking. As we pivoted over to becoming a platform ourselves, we actually started in the banking world and now are expanding more into brokerage. And the reason for that is so much of the use cases that we see for new fintech builders and actually for existing companies looking to add fintech capabilities these days really start with banking in some fashion. And it may not be what you think about as a, a lot of these folks aren't necessarily trying to become a primary bank account, 
for their end customers, but they need some kind of store of value in their platform. They don't just want money to move through it. They want to be able to give somebody a way to actually keep money in that platform. And that starts with banking capabilities. Mm -hmm. Start with core underlying accounts. So bread and butter for, for Rise today is you can think about all the kind of basic banking as a service capabilities that you need. So access to underlying checking, saving FBO type accounts, ACH rails, debit card issuance, both physical and virtual. And again, all the compliance that you need that's wrapped around all that stuff. So you know exactly what to do and you stay safe and you don't screw up anything up and down the stack, including for the underlying custodians. That's super. We're also now, as you mentioned, we're starting to move back into the brokerage world as well. And the way we think about this really is, as I said earlier, kind of leaning into the asset side of the balance sheet. How do you have a store of value in the system and then be able to start thinking about things like how do I provide some yield in a world where interest rates remain super low? And if you're uh, getting 25, 50 basis points in a high yield savings account in a bank, how do you do something better than that and give folks a reason to keep money in your platform and, and be a stepping stone to a whole bunch of other things? So that's some of the stuff that's coming down the pike for us. If you look at Rise today, all those banking capabilities are, are live. And what we're really focused on in the business in terms of roadmap is supporting our customers really well with great technology around that kind of stuff mm -hmm. within those kind of core mm -hmm. banking capabilities. Um, and adding those brokerage capabilities and being able to do that across both consumer and commercial accounts. That's what we're really focused on. If we go a little bit further out, mm -hmm. you know, what's the overall vision for the business? For those of you who follow fintech pretty closely, you might have seen Matt Harris's fintech 3.0 post in Forbes back in November of last year, where they really talked about, okay, we're in fintech 2.0 today, which is all about embedded finance, but what does the next wave look like? And he pictured a world where you have seamless interoperability of money and assets across all these different kind of realms of financial services. That's really how we've always thought the world should operate with Rise. Mm -hmm. And so what we're building towards as a platform is to be able to bring under a single umbrella capabilities across not only banking and brokerage, but you think about lending, you think about insurance, you think about crypto, so that if you're building against the Rise platform, you'll have the ability to mix and match capabilities across any of those different verticals uh, and really create very unique user experiences out there. So that's generally where we're moving as a platform. Every time you move into a new vertical, there's a whole lot of stuff that you got to do. And so we'll be taking that in slow but steady progress, but we're well on that path right now. Yeah. And I think that's super exciting, a super exciting roadmap, especially while you talk about the yield, which I think is some interesting development coming down the way. And if you're listening, feel free to subscribe to Justin's LinkedIn account or Rise's Twitter account for future <laughs> updates, which I think is super, super exciting. Yeah. Now, now Justin, let's talk more about builders, because I, I know you came, you originally come on as a builder and now you're mostly supporting other builders. So what was it like for founders that come to you? What are the stages of their companies? right now and how was able rise able and you able to help them on their, on their journeys sure if you look at the the folks who are building against the rise platform right now i'd say the majority are, are new build fintechs the folks who are just starting out on things starting fresh set of infrastructure and just getting out for the first time and in some cases they're experienced founders who've been in fintech for a while and sometimes um, there are folks who are completely new to the game. And so that really is the, the perspective around which we built the platform, because that, that's who we were six years ago when we first started. We were absolutely a set of noobs who you know, had a lot of confidence and thought we knew something about how customers thought about money. But we discovered we did really not know how much the infrastructure stuff was going to be an impediment to everything that we wanted to do. Right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of new build. We do have, in some cases, 
folks who maybe started out on a different banking as a service platform and ran into some issues and switched over pre-launch to be able to work with us on things. And we also have a surprising number of large companies who are now starting to come in and have some conversations with us about things that they want to be able to do. And in some cases, that is larger fintechs who maybe started out in other verticals who are looking to add kind of banking, some of those capabilities in existing user experiences where it makes sense for their end customers. So it's a very flexible platform that's capable of serving uh, kind of all of those different use cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you, you just mentioned like ver- multiple verticals. It just remind me of the word super app, which I'm sure mm-hmm. you, you've heard of. So do you think that is where the world is heading for years? I think we'll see. We'll see. Is there going to be somebody who, who can win a significant portion of the market the way that things have happened in other countries, for example, over in China and things like that? Certainly one of the things that we see, even at the earliest stages of companies who are just starting out these days, is that unlike the first wave of fintech, where you saw a whole bunch of the big winners, say, on the consumer side, tended to be single product companies. Again, you think about Chime and banking, or you think about Robinhood and brokerage. And several of them now, say like SoFi, have started to try to really move in a horizontal fashion and, and add additional capabilities. It's been pretty difficult for them because of the they did have to solve all their own infrastructure problems and they have pretty rigid stacks and all that stuff. Now what we're seeing is... Yeah whole bunch of builders who are coming in with, say, various different flavors of a neobank. Right? Nobody's trying to go compete head-to-head with Chime, but you've got a bunch of new builders who are coming in and saying, hey, I want to focus on a very specific audience. And they might be college students or members of the military or LGBTQ plus communities and saying, hey, I understand something fundamentally and unique about this audience And I want to build a financial product for them, usually starting with banking. But even from the very beginning, they're saying, hey, I don't want to just be a one-trick pony. I want to get some initial traction with my audience around a basic use case that might involve, say, an account and a card. But I absolutely want to be able to surround those customers with a much wider, more seamlessly integrated set of products and services, all of which are tailored to their very specific needs. So what we talk about is like getting a customer parity with Chime in the, in the blink of an eye, we can do that right now, but that's not very interesting to us. We want to be able to get our clients parity with, say, Cash App, where you really do have seamless interoperability across a number of different verticals. In that case, they've been able to do cash. They've been able to do securities. They're now able to do crypto now. I think from the, the super app perspective in consumer world, Cash App is probably head and shoulders above everybody else on that perspective right now. And again, I don't see a lot of folks who are coming and trying to mm-hmm. compete head to head with Cash App, but everybody has the same perspective of, no, I don't want to be a one trick pony. I absolutely need to be able to pull capabilities from a variety of financial verticals to serve the needs of my end customers effectively. And the ability to build against rise and knowing, hey, I'm going to get a lot more flexibility where I'm not just getting banking capabilities, I'm going to have the ability to add additional capabilities as they come live in the platform without really changing my build in any way, ends up being pretty important and and one of the reasons that we win business out there. Okay, that's very super interesting. And and now let's talk more about the founders themselves, because as I know, there are many aspiring founders who want to enter fintech. And I think one of the debate, the questions out there is, does fintech founders have to have a financial background or at least having that is like a plus. Um, so what are your take on this, Justin? It's one of those things, I think it can go both ways. And more often than not, I see 
builders and founders coming in who don't have a ton of experience in financial services. And I think there's uh, there are upsides and downsides to that. The upside is you probably have a really good view as to what the needs are for your customer base. Oftentimes they are their customer base. Right? They are building to solve problems that they themselves have experienced. And that's incredibly helpful because people who come from too much of a financial services background can sometimes forget what it's like to be a normal end consumer around this stuff. The, the downside to it is that you don't know what you don't know mm -hmm. on things. And what makes building in fintech that much more mm -hmm. difficult than uh, your normal consumer type stuff is oftentimes the regulation that you really didn't know was a thing and the compliance that you didn't know was a thing when you have envisioned what you want to do out there. And then just the complexity of just how scattered to the four winds, the different pieces that you really need to be able to put together can be to sometimes really get a product out there and get it all to work. And so what I oftentimes try to counsel founders on is first and foremost, keep your end vision as your, of what you want to be able to deliver to your customers as your true north. Always think about that kind of stuff first. And what you discover in fintech is there's almost always a way to actually do what you want to do, but it's probably not the way that is in any way intuitive to you, right? It's not going to be your first approach to things. It's going to require <laughs> mixing and matching account types. It's going to require a tweak here. It's going to be require fixing some stuff over here so that it can be compliant in various different fashions. So you need to be able to work through all those different machinations and still make sure that what you're delivering at the end of the day serves the needs of your customers. If you do that, you're going to end up with a product that has a real shot. And the other thing that I, I kind of counsel first-time right. fintech builders on is give yourself more time than you think you need. Certainly speed is important in all things consumer, but as important as it is, it's almost less important in fintech because what matters more in this space is to get it right. And so I tell founders, uh, set the expectations for yourself and your investors correctly. If you tell somebody you're going to get it done in two months and it takes you four months, you look like an idiot. If you tell them it's going to take six months and you get it done in four months, mm -hmm. you look like a hero, right? Give yourself more time, actually get things right up, and you'll give yourself a much better shot in the market than getting something that's either not ready or not compliant or is going to run into a whole bunch of issues further down the line. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with that. I think that's a great advice for me. For the timeline-wise, are you seeing most founders that came to you or in general, are they just being rushed by themselves or do you think they are being much rushed by the market, by competitor investors? Yeah, yeah. I was saying the pro of having a finance background is you may understand a little bit more about how all the pieces get put together. The con is sometimes a little bit too much about how the pieces get put together and you can't really see the forest for the trees. Or you can't come up with something really innovative. I think the pros for somebody coming in without a finance background is you have a really good understanding the end customer really wants. And you just had, what I was saying is you have to give yourself a bit of time. This is not a space where move fast and break things works all that. You have to give yourself the time to actually do the product correctly, embrace compliance up front, get all those kind of pieces in place so that you have the best possible chance of once you actually get live on things to get some early traction and be able to handle it as you scale. Mm -hmm. So I think it's some of the most effective founders that we work with do have some fintech background and respect the fact that they need to take a little bit more time to do it 
correctly. So I don't know if we got it in the previous recording on it, but, I, but as I often say to founders, set the expectations correctly for your, if you tell somebody that you're going to do it in two months and it takes you four months, you look pretty dumb. If you say that you're going to do it in six months and you do it in four months, you look like a rock star. And in this space, you're definitely better off saying, hey, it's going to take me six months and maybe doing it faster. Yeah, totally agree with that. I want to talk more about the growth of your company, of Rice, because I know just a few months ago, you guys just raised your Series A. What did it look like to grow so fast? Because I know you guys have a significant headcount growth over the past year. Yeah, yeah. So we raised our Series A, nice Series A, middle of last year, last summer of 2021. And that really unlocked a lot of what we needed to do, as you said, in terms of headcount growth to handle just the sheer demand that's coming at us right now. There are a lot of folks who want to build and to make sure that we're supporting our clients through the sales process, through the onboarding process, the process of actually getting live. That's the first and foremost, the most important thing. So a lot of the growth in the business has been around supporting that. And also, as we talked a little bit earlier, we got a pretty aggressive roadmap of, of additional stuff that's coming down the pike both later this year and, and moving into 2020. And it's like building any startup. There's a challenge in that. I kind of like to think that there are always problems to be dealt with. It's just the nature of the problems change. Mm -hmm. When you're going from zero to one and trying to get early product market fit, maybe the biggest existential threat to the business is running out of money before you actually are able to get to product market fit. And then as you get a little bit more into scaling, the biggest existential threats become how quickly can you move? And can you handle scaling well? And so you see the kind of things that when you're 10 people and you move to 20 people, things don't work anymore. Mm -hmm. And when you're 20 people and you move to 50 people, things don't work anymore. So you know, those are all the, the challenges of actual company building and scaling that, to be honest, are, are the reasons why I've always loved building stuff in the first. How do you get a bunch of really talented, smart people all rowing oars in the same direction and doing, in this case, a really good job of supporting clients. I like to think that we're doing a pretty decent job and I'm sure there are areas that we can improve and, and we're working on those every day. So it's an interesting it's an interesting process and, and one that honestly I, I really love. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned about the team because I really wanted to dig into a little bit more about a FinTech team, which I think it's very different from just like a regular B2B tech team. So let's start more with the founders. Were you a solo founder or did you have co-founders when you started? No, I, fortunately, I'm not a solo founder. I've got my co-founder, Kirk, who's been, we've been at each other's side from the very beginning of this process now for you know six plus years in or so. And that's, I think that's a thing of personal preference. I have several friends who have been solo founders, including some who've been spectacularly successful solo founders. But for me, I, I always knew that I never wanted to do this by myself. Mm -hmm. It was going to be a lot more fun to have a co-founder to, to do it with and share some of the burden with, and then the rest of the team as well. Mm -hmm. So my, my co-founder, Kirk, his, his background was originally kind of technology and design. Mine was more on the, the business and the psychology and that side of all things. And mm -hmm. we've turned out to be a, a, a very good pair. But yeah, it's a complicated business that we run. And we end up having to have a team that needs to combine not only the kind of the business and the design and, and then the technical, the product and engineering stuff is extraordinarily, but also compliance, a huge part of what we do, really building that into the platform and, and now operations as folks really can start to scale. There's a, a lot of different moving pieces of the business and we're a complicated business by default, because yeah. if you think about the role that we play in the stack, we are the hub where a lot of other pieces come together. Mm -hmm. And something I talk about with the team on a regular basis is doesn't really matter if, say, one of our ecosystem partners goes down or something breaks in a connection there. From our client's perspective, it's all still rise, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not a good excuse that something doesn't work 
we have to be better and more out ahead of even situations that we don't control to make sure that we're providing a good experience at the end of the day. And, and that involves a, a pretty uh, rock solid team in order to get that done. Mm -hmm. I, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. Branding is so important. And I think even when you work with multiple partners, it's important to keep communications with your customers so that they know your brand is your brand and their partner just part of your product. I want to talk more about compliance because I know a lot of builders yeah. coming into uh, the fintech space, they don't really know much about compliance. I certainly don't know much about compliance. So what are kind of the advice you have for founders? One of the things that we talked a bunch about when we first met, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think my biggest uh, advice around compliance is to embrace it, right? So obviously compliance and regulatory compliance is, is in some ways the defining aspect of fintech versus other industries, right? Uh, because you have all this regulation that gets in there. And uh, it has oftentimes been viewed in our space as a thorn in your side. There was this view that either you were compliant or you were moving fast, but you couldn't be both. Okay. And it's been proven several times spectacularly that just doesn't really work very well in the financial services world. And we have an immense amount of respect for compliance over at Rise because Actually, the final nail in the coffin for us with our B2C app happened because we were just bringing banking capabilities into the product for the first time and had been working through an early banking as a service platform in order to do that. And the bank that they had paired with notified us just literally about a month before we were going to launch those capabilities mm. that they were basically melting down due to compliance deficiencies caused by working with fintechs. Their regulators had come in, looked under the hood and said, you guys have gone way too fast. You don't have control. You don't have transparency and visibility within this system. So we're not going to let you do it anymore until you write the ship, which was bad news for us. And so that was the point where we finally threw in the towel and said, this is ridiculous. We know we built something very special around the core technology that we built here. It's really a key to doing a lot of embedded finance plays, multi-product plays, but also very importantly, this was dumb. This didn't need to happen. We know exactly why, where things fell down. And now we know how to fill in all those gaps. Okay. So as we move from being a B2C fintech ourselves to becoming a platform, one of the things that we really had to bring into the platform was all of the compliance. Because if you think about it, of the three main players in the stack, you've got uh, a fintech builder, you've got us, you could call us the middleware, and then you've got an underlying financial institution like a bank. Of those three parties, turned out that really is us as the middleware, we're the only ones who are really capable of doing compliance correctly at scale because the underlying bank, though they certainly respect compliance because they've got the regulators knocking on their door on a regular basis, but they're not tech companies. They really don't have the ability or the know-how to do this compliance stuff at the scale that's required by FinTech that can be millions of accounts mm -hmm. as we've seen. And then if you got the builders, usually great at the tech side, but as you mentioned, certainly we back in the day don't know the first thing about compliance. So it's pretty dangerous to put the compliance burden just on uh, what we call the client, the builders. Mm -hmm. So it had to be us that would take that on. And so we had to build an entire what's called compliance management system into the platform. We brought on uh, a fantastic chief compliance officer who'd been general counsel at USAA and then chief compliance officer for JP Morgan and their retail bank to help us architect the entire compliance management system. And it's designed from the ground up to take the vast majority of the compliance work off of both 
our clients who are building against the platform, but also the underlying regulated institutions that we work with. Because again, the regulator is going to look to them at the end of the day as the regulated entity to make sure they're doing things correctly, but they really need our help Mm -hmm. in order to do this stuff correctly up and down the stack. Mm -hmm. So we talk about compliance at Rise. We think about compliance, I think, the way that Amazon thinks about legit, which is it is the hairy ball of wax that nobody wants to deal with because it is a pain. But when you think about it as, well, it's a design constraint, we're going to embrace it and make it a source of strength, it really becomes a key part of differentiation. I would argue that maybe Amazon's biggest moat these days is the fact that they do logistics and can get product in people's hands faster and better than anybody else out there. We look at compliance the same way at Rise as saying, look, this is just something that we need to be fantastic at and really be able to provide the right uh, tools to our clients to so that they can play their role. And we make life much easier mm-hmm. in the compliance world. We'll give you the full set of kind of policies and procedures pre-approved by our bank that can get you up to speed very quickly. We will provide you with the training that you need in terms of what is the role that you play as the first line of defense around compliance. We'll give you all the tools that you need down to literally vendor management and things like that to make sure that what you're doing is compliant, that you're keeping yourself safe, that you're keeping the underlying regulated institution safe. And you can go out and, and do what you want to do, which is focus on building your product and, and acquiring great customers. Okay. And I want to get back to the builder's uh, perspective, because I think mm-hmm. a lot of new fintech founders coming into the market or prospective ones, they have this fear that the market is so saturated right now with so many products trying to solve the same problem. And I think we talk about neobanks. And, and for some for mm-hmm. some on the outside, it seems like everyone's building a new bank so that I'm, as an entrepreneur, I'm afraid to come into the space. So what was your take on this particular scenario and their fears? Are you specifically with regards to compliance or just in general that there's a lot? Just, of just in general. Just in general. Yeah, look, I think it is a more competitive space, right? Mm-hmm. And this is what happens every time you bring the bar for engaging in a space down by an order of magnitude. Again, use that AWS analogy. You look at just the explosion of creativity that was created when AWS made it so much easier to launch a basic website Mm -hmm. or basic business online. A tenfold plus increase in terms of what was happening there. And you're seeing the same thing happen right now in the fintech world. Like Rise are making it easier and faster and less expensive to bring new product to market. And so there are more folks who are trying that. But in the same way that you saw with what happened with the internet, I think we're still so early on in the overall game that is fintech. I don't know, maybe we're in the third inning right now or something like that. And while there is a lot more stuff out there and there is more noise. Great product that is well-designed, that solves an important problem, that is well-marketed, always has a shot to really do something disruptive. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways, I like to think about what platforms like Rise have been able to do is actually to make it much more of a meritocracy out there. Because I guarantee you, there were some probably pretty good products and ideas in the last 10 years of FinTech that never really got a shot because they couldn't get out the door or they made some bad infrastructure decisions that really limited their ability to to ever see if they were right or not. Platforms like Rise make it much easier and and level that playing field now to be able to say, all right, my shot of of, uh, my success or lack thereof gets a little bit closer to was I right about my hypothesis, about the need for my customer, about how I get products in their hands. So 
I think there's an immense amount of, of white space out there, even in the consumer fintech world. Andreessen Horowitz did a, a nice article, I think within the last six weeks or so, that was talking about there's actually a ton of space in the consumer fintech world, even within things like neobanks, because of the ability to start slicing and dicing and focusing much more directly on uh, individual niche audiences, that there's a lot of space for a lot of success out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I totally agree with that. And so my last question would be, what is your vision for Rise for the next three to five years? What will Rise look like by then? Yeah. No, I, I think it will look a lot like, I'm going to keep using this AWS analogy because it plays such a, a similar role out there, but I think we'll look something similar to an AWS type platform or a, Spot, a Shopify type platform, which is the interesting challenge of a business like ours is how do you serve a kind of binary, a bimodal distribution of customers effectively. On one end of the distribution, you've got the long tail of new builders who want to be able to bring new product out into the world and do so as quickly and efficiently as, as you possibly can. And so how do you really um, give them the tools to be able to get as close to self-serve as one possibly can? And then on the other side of the distribution, you've got the really big companies. You've In the Netflix world, you've, uh, in the AWS world, you've got Netflix, things like that, mm -hmm. which are likely as a platform where you make a lot of your money. And as I said, an interesting challenge of this business is how do you serve both sides of that distribution effectively and allow a whole bunch of ones who start out small to have a lot of success and, and get big over time. So I see Rise as playing a critical role in the overall infrastructure of financial services writ large and really helping that seamless interoperability to knock down those barriers. Like my end game is I want a builder to be able to come in with uh, a very clear view of the user experience they want to be able to create for an end customer and be able to replicate that perfectly without having to understand the ins and outs of everything that happens under the hood. We've got a ways to go on that front, but I think we're going to get there. Okay. That's a great answer. So thank you so much, Justin, again, for joining the show today. I'm super excited to hear about your story about Rise. You're helping fintech founders. And for any fintech founders listening out there, reach out to Justin and Rise. If you're thinking about building a fintech business, I'm sure they'll be great of help. So thanks again, Justin. I look forward to see you here back again soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Feel free to find us on risefs.com or reach out to us at partnerships at risemoney.com and we'll be there to help you. Thanks very much for having me today. It's been, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Talk soon. Thanks, George. Builders Build, a Bluemex podcast, is hosted by George Poo and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. For more Builders Build content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.com to join us on Discord.